Hey there, and welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast, where we give you tangible, actionable tips to achieve your dreams and live your best life. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, and you're listening to episode number 26. In today's episode, we're going to be talking to Swati Chavda, a fellow writer and the author of Ignite. We talk about Swati's experience with burnout, her journey from neurosurgeon to writer, how people can avoid or survive burnout, and so much more. At the end of the interview, we'll chat about how a lucky listener can get a free copy of her book. Now, let's head over to the interview. So thank you very much, Swati, for joining me today. Uh, For our listeners, Swati is a neurosurgeon, burnout survivor, and the author of Ignite, Beat Burnout and Rekindle Your Inner Fire. Currently, she is working on The Phoenix Phenomenon, a follow-up book to Ignite. She's also working on a novel series blending fantasy, science fiction, and alternate history. Do you like humor, magic, quests, and adventure? If so, you are likely to enjoy her novels. Characters in her stories tend to seek answers to questions ranging from is there life after death to should there be life before breakfast? She uses too many commas, too few coffee breaks, and there's a constant battle waging in her head between British and American spelling. Welcome, Swati. I can definitely um, relate to you on the too many commas thing. That is something that my editors are always saying to me, (laughs) but I enjoy the use of them. Take them out after is how I feel. Yes. So I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about your journey from neurosurgeon to writer. Uh, First of all, thank you for having me uh, here, Victoria. So my journey from neurosurgery to... uh, So I have uh, always been a writer in the sense that I wrote ever since I could uh, think. Uh, But of course, I never had time to do that in a more professional way. I have been I have been working as a neurosurgeon in India since 2001 and I came to Canada in 2009 uh, for fellowship. I worked here for a year and a half. But for over the years I realized that the whole joy in neurosurgery was fading. And it's not I, I still loved my job. I loved being able to help people. I I just could not okay. So for me, the best thing about neurosurgery was being able to help people, people's brains heal. Because I feel that everything we are, everything we will ever be, it comes from one's brain. And that was the reason I chose to become a neurosurgeon altogether, because human brain is so fascinating. Whatever we are, just it just comes from there. Without a brain, even if a tiny thing goes wrong, like even if the hair's breadth of thing goes wrong there, it can change one's personality altogether. That way neurosciences was really fascinating to me. However, when I started actually working as a neurosurgeon, over the years I realized that everything is not about uh, understanding the subject, the nitty-gritties of daily life. They are just they are just same like in any other job. You have to make sure that tiny things in the mechanics of a day doesn't go wrong. You have to handle a lot of people. You have to handle many people's egos, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that kind of thing was taking really taking the joy out of the work altogether. Mm-hmm. And that compounded with the fact that I had absolutely no time for myself at all. Mm-hmm. I, I felt that I was becoming a different person and I, I was slowly losing the joy in my actual work. Yeah. I started writing just as a means to stay sane. <laughs> <laughs> I think many writers would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
when I came to Canada in 2009, initially we didn't have a car, we didn't have driver's license and uh, I used to commute by bus. So that was a good time for me to sit and jot down my thoughts and uh, bit by bit that way a story took place, mm-hmm. not a story about me but a fiction. And I realized that I was really enjoying it. I was getting more in touch with myself while doing that. The more I did that, the more I connected with that aspect of myself compared to the hardworking go-getter type. I mm. mean, of course, writing is also work, but it's not like neurosurgery. Yeah. Then in 2010, and when I finished my fellowship, I had some time before I applied elsewhere for a new position. And that's the, that's also the time when my dog needed some surgery, so I needed to stay home and take care of him for some time. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time in years when I had some free time. I could actually stay home and spend time over my cup of coffee in the morning. That's the time I realized I had got completely disconnected with the sensory world around me altogether. I had stopped enjoying food. I had stopped enjoying any any normal thing which people would enjoy. And slowly as I reconnected with life, I realized everything which I had missed. And when I was going through that phase earlier, I had not realized I was burnt out. I, I just realized I was very irritable. I had become short-tempered. I was uh, snapping at my family members. And uh, the worst thing was that every night before I went to sleep, I was dreading getting up in the morning. That uh, And that was a horrible feeling that as human beings, we should feel glad that we are alive. We are getting up in the morning. Uh, and I did not feel that anymore. So I realized that in retrospect that I had gone yeah. into that. So once I had free time, I had to decide whether to continue with that or continue, go back to neurosurgery. And that's how it And you chose to take time to write. Yes. That's great. I take it that your experience with burnout was the inspiration behind your book, Ignite. That's right. (laughs) And not just my experience, but I also, uh, once I realized I had been burnt out earlier, uh, I, I started looking at the whole world around me with a different lens. And I saw that there were quite a few people who were going through that phase. In fact, when we go on the internet, there's so many trolls around. I personally feel that many of them are just burnt out. And they're just lashing out at the world in a different way. Because I know I was... But for the grace of God, there go I. Yeah. (laughs) I will will try and think of trolls that as positively as you do (laughs) going forward. But no, I think you're right. So many people are burning out. It's such, it's a topic that is so prevalent in the media right now. And yet I think we also don't understand it or how, what to do about it. And I'm getting ahead of myself. So tell us a little bit about your book, Ignite. So this book uh, came about in a funny way. I, when I was burnt out, I was not very sure what to do about it or how to prevent that from happening again because I, I noticed that I had a personality which predisposed me to burn, burn out. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to achieve everything. I wanted to be a superwoman. As that word is really thrown around a lot yeah. these days. Re- doing all that was burning me out. So when I, I read some books about burnout which were written by psychologists, uh, people who are trained in Mm-hmm. Uh, dealing with people's minds but uh, what I felt was that most books were tackling the topic from an academic angle mm-hmm. I thought that let me bring a little different approach to it and I was thinking about the term burnout itself the very word burn out implies that there used to be a fire earlier and that fire is now extinguished 
I was thinking about it and I realized that that's actually true. I felt as if an inner fire had gone out inside me when I was burnt out and I had to figure out a way to rekindle that to overcome burnout. That's how the whole concept of inner fire as a as a means to combat burnout came about. Once I started thinking about things in terms of fire, I correlated with with external fire that if we want to kindle fire, what stuff do we need? We need to collect some fuel first. We need to apply oxygen, fan the flames nicely. And there needs to be a source of heat. Just like we need that for an external fire, I felt the same thing would be needed for inner fire as well. And then the next step was for me to figure out what are the elements such as fuel, oxygen and Mm -hmm. heat in terms of inner fire. And that's what this book is about. It explores what all those things are when it comes to inner fire, how to gather all that material so that we can put it together and ignite the inner fire. Yeah, I love the way you describe it. I think it's, it definitely, it's very visual as well and people can really relate to that instead of the academic books that you're talking about. One of the things when I, when I hear a flame that's gone out partly, and maybe this is just the way my brain is predisposed to think about it, is I think of passion, people having a passion, and yet at the same time, so many people are stressed that they don't have a passion. Mm-hmm. Is there anything, do you think passion is necessary, or do you think it's just finding, it, or do you think it's also finding the joy for life in, like you were saying, yeah. the sensory experiences yeah. of life? Uh, passion is absolutely an essential component. In fact, when I uh, talk about a fire triad, that is fuel, heat, and oxygen, mm-hmm. in terms of inner fire, passion is the heat. Uh, so passion is absolutely essential. And when passion goes out, which does happen because of stress yeah. and the routine monotony of daily life, So when the passion goes out, that source of heat is removed. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why inner fire starts burning low. Even for people who are not completely burnt out, the inner fire can be burning low. And that's quite often the case because the passion has gone Mm -hmm. from life or from anything, in fact. What's your advice for people finding their passion or building their passion? I think a lot of people, I know so many people that say the whole find your passion, they don't know what it is. They don't know where to start. In fact, it's interesting that this is the commonest question I get asked on this whole topic. Really? Because in terms of inner triad, fuel is easy to, it's more tangible because fuel is us, our body, Mm -hmm. our mind, our resources, time, all those those things go on to form a fuel. Mm -hmm. Similarly, oxygen is also very easy to understand that oxygen is like literally the breath. It just means taking a breather in life, creating some gaps within our day so that we can take a deep breath, let let some ideas enter our mind. Whereas passion, it's it's little more abstract, little more elusive. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's the one which I get, uh, get questioned about the most, that how to get that if it has gone out. And... My, uh, what I figured out is that if one's passion has gone out, the best thing is to think about a time in childhood when one had passion. Mm -hmm. Because everybody starts off having some kind of passion and Mm -hmm. it just dies somewhere along the line. So we should just reflect, reflect back in life and think of the time when passion was a normal part of life. Mm -hmm. 
and start from there once we put ourselves in that same frame of mind it's much easier to get in touch with what we used to be like when there was passion and it automatically generates uh, the feel for it i've been doing a lot of thinking on passion lately and i i almost try and substitute the word curiosity for it as well for people friends of mine that don't know what their passion is i just say get curious start asking questions and maybe you'll find that one thing maybe you'll find many things i consider myself a multi-passionate person which has its downfalls as well but it's yeah. yeah no absolutely i think that's a great way to look at that and when we talk about passion there's another thing that passion alone does not really help because the passion has to be it it has to stem from a purpose mm-hmm. and it has to be channeled into productivity without those two it it the actual passion which is channeled into something that's very different from a passion which vaguely rests in one mind yeah when one starts getting a feel for the kind of passion things they are passionate about then that's the time to start thinking about the other two wings on which yeah. passion flies that's the purpose and productivity yeah put and it into action yeah putting yeah. all those things together it really makes a lot of difference great in the book you talk about burnout and fade out can yeah. you describe the difference between the two this is actually uh, the whole term fade out came about while i was talking to my sister about burnout mm-hmm. and, and there was a time when i was writing the book and I was still developing the ideas so one thing which she noticed noticed about people was that some people have not really burnt out in the sense that they have not used up all their inner resources but still their fire is burning low so is that a different kind of category or do they need some different kind of things to rejuvenate them and i realized uh, that that sounds more like what i would call a fade out that the fire has not just gone off in one it's not been snuffed out altogether but it's burning low i feel that in terms of uh, taking care of oneself it's basically the common factor is in a fire and if one figures out a way to reignite the inner fire mm-hmm. or keep it burning really nicely hot and uh, roaring and then uh, that's the time when uh, it takes care of both burnout and fade out and I, in fact i think there are more people who are faded out than burnt out yeah so it's a good warning sign that they can yes. do something about before they reach sort of rock yeah. bottom of it's almost like a car going into a reserve yeah you don't want to get stranded <laughs> no <laughs> get your first aid kit and your yeah. emergency <laughs> kit going so i often feel that a big part of burnout seems to be rooted you're talking about the superwoman mentality mm-hmm. there there really is in our society this feeling of we should that word should as well should do it all should be able to manage mm-hmm. it all should have it all yeah. when did this shift happen and do you think we'll ever shift away from it because i i feel like that's part <laughs> of the root of yeah. how we all end up at burnout i think we are already shifting away from it in a way uh, at least that's what i've started noticing among my peers I think that shift started somewhere uh, maybe last generation end of last generation I remember that my mom did not have any problems with burnout uh, but that's because she was not working outside and maybe her pressures were different mm-hmm. I think earlier people had clearer divisions of la- labor at home and outside the gender based roles it made things easier although of course that's not how things are and it sh- they shouldn't be I think we are as a society we are just getting used to the new system where women and men are equal and both work outside as well as at home 
so it's just a matter of finding that balance and i think we are on the way to finding it so i have great hopes that yeah. uh, by next generation things would have normalized a lot um, even women uh, as women we are many of us are moving away from the whole idea of being a superwoman and trying to do everything perfectly it's funny because i think millennials get a lot of <laughs> they get trash talked a lot <laughs> with that they don't have this work ethic or that this that and the other but i also mm. think and maybe it's because i'm just at the beginning of the millennials cusp. myself <laughs> cusp of the millennials that i think we also have a greater desire to have that balance and yes. to to have that professional life but to also yeah. fan that inner fire and yeah. you know enjoy our passions mm-hmm. as well so yeah. i i hope that that's yeah. that we can that we can balance professionalism mm-hmm. and personal mm-hmm. passions in order that it's I think it's mutually beneficial then absolutely no I fully agree and I I have great hopes from millennials in this regard actually I think people are beginning to see the pitfalls of just burning ourselves out and it just doesn't do anyone any good eventually there's that balance that one has to do their job professionally but at the same time we have responsibility towards ourselves as well. So you and I are living in Calgary, where the economy is definitely struggling. People are out of work, or they still fear that they're going to lose their jobs. And this takes a huge mental toll. I mean, stress, anxiety, fear of finances, relationships can collapse because Mm -hmm. of it. What is your advice for individuals experiencing burnout? How... How can they make it through without necessarily taking time off? Because I know that that's something a lot of people don't yeah. have the luxury to do yeah. in an economy like this. Oh, this is a great question and definitely a very relevant question because uh, I absolutely agree that uh, one uh, things should not go to the phase where one is forced to take time off. I think the best way to deal with it is to watch out for warning signs. When you start going into the fade-out territory, uh, that's the time when it's time to start prioritizing things. I feel that uh, no matter how how many things one has to do, there's always some way we can prioritize better. Uh, I'm still learning. I mean, I wrote this book. Apparently, I should know everything, but it's Nobody it's knows yeah, <laughs> it's it's a work in progress. I'm still learning things, and I still have uh, trouble with prioritizing. Main thing is I'm making progress, and I think that's important thing is we just keep watching what we are doing. Quite often when we do things mindlessly, we don't realize where we are messing up. Mm-hmm. So as long as we stay mindful and and that's an easy way to watch, uh, we'll, we'll be able to detect the warning signs more easily. Yeah. You and I were talking um, before we started recording about minimalism and mindfulness yeah. and intentional living. And yeah. I, I see that as a way that we're hopefully shifting yeah. away from the do it all, be it all, have yeah. it all. Yeah, and you were talking about that you're considering toying with minimalism yes. yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that is certainly a way to go. I mean, one doesn't need to be hardcore, but uh, tending towards it, it does make a difference. Yeah. Uh, not only that, I realized that when when I was in the, my burnout phase, I was actually shopping mindlessly uh, using the retail therapy, as people call it. Just because I was so unhappy and I thought that the things would make me feel happier. Mm-hmm. Um, as I'm fond of saying, when your heart is empty, we collect things. And now that I'm feeling more fulfilled, I actually don't need that many things. Yeah. So I think if we just move away a little bit from consumerism, it just makes things easier for ourselves. And yes, I'm definitely going to be yeah. giving minimalistic living Excellent. a try. 
I'm also a big believer, though you wouldn't know it from looking at my house, that having <laughs> having a more peaceful environment is very helpful when you're going through periods of high anxiety yeah. or high stress. There's nothing worse than coming home to a disaster. And, and that is, I mean, quite honestly, yeah. I live with an infant. That is my life. <laughs> but that's often when I am in fade out. Yeah. What I move to first is I just want to organize and, yeah. you know, that's... It's my gut reaction. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to fanning the flame, which is, yeah. you know, would probably mm-hmm. be more beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we have fewer things at home, it just makes it easier to avoid getting pulled into that obsessive housekeeping stuff. But, mm-hmm. and also, if you know, if you're talking about how to prioritize your time, mm-hmm. I think so many of us go, well, you know, we need to tidy the house. It's a chore that needs to be done. Yeah. As opposed to, we need to spend time creating or writing or mm. doing whatever that we enjoy yeah. doing. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's my philosophy is that I was not born to take care of my house. House is there to yeah. give me shelter. That's all it is. It's not, yeah. house is not a person. I don't need to really give my heart and soul to it. But again, I think that's the society of like yeah. perfect houses, perfect, yeah. you know, the the picture perfect. You yeah. arrive at work looking great. You yeah. have no problems. Anyone asks how you're doing, you say, I'm fine. Yeah. No matter what is going on. Yeah. How would you then, or would you discuss burnout with colleagues? Or, I mean, I think we would talk about it with friends and family. Yeah. But would you talk about it in a work environment? That's a very interesting question because uh, I had I would have given a different answer to it if you had asked me five years ago. Yeah. And now I have a different answer. Initially, when I realized I was burnt out and I took time off, I was very embarrassed about the whole thing. I thought I was a failure. I looked around and I saw that my colleagues were f- apparently functioning like normal people. I was the only one who was, maybe I was weak, maybe I was not resilient enough. All those kind of thoughts kept crowding me and I will, I became a bit of a recluse. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not mingle with my colleagues at all uh, because I didn't want to tell them that I was not working. As I came out of that phase of burnout and as my confidence grew, then I started talking about it more. And that's when I realized that my colleagues are also, many of them are going through the same phase. It's just that people like to keep a smile on their face and nobody likes to show that uh, they are going through a weak moment. Uh, So I think definitely talking about it to one's colleagues is important because when we do that, we realize that mostly everybody is going through the same phase and the more we talk, the easier it becomes for everyone to handle and there's no shame attached to it. So it it definitely made a difference. And I completely agree with that in terms of mental health in general, anxiety, stress, depression, postpartum. I think by not talking about it, it isolates people. Yes. And if you you share the struggles, I think it's Brene Brown or someone else oh, that yeah. says that the most the two most important words in the English language yeah. are me too. Yes. And I completely agree with that. Oh yeah. It, even just now, <laughs> I'm exactly, saying that it's yeah. that. <sighs> yeah. Me too. Exactly. And I think that's what you you've been talking about postpartum depression, and that's a great thing because when we see celebrities, they after giving birth, they come out looking perfect and... Uh, the People magazine bikini yeah. cover, I hate it, <laughs> oh, I yeah. hate it. And everyone has, they, they have these smiles like million dollar smiles and perfect little family, um, that kind of stuff. And you see that around and women living normal lives watch that and many of them are going through a different experience altogether. 
I think talking about it is important because mm-hmm. people that same thing as you mentioned me too that yeah. kind of sense it really makes a difference. And I think it's not just celebrities as well. I mean the social media culture that we yeah. live in people typically mm-hmm. and we're all guilty of this yeah. curate the perfect feed the perfect yeah. image of themselves. You're not going to post the Instagram, Facebook, Twitter yeah. status or picture of yourself looking like yep. you just woke up oh, yeah. and you're exhausted. You're going to post the one that, you know, you took five angles of it mm. and this one's the best and I edited mm. it and this is my perfect life. <laughs> and I think that increases people's, th- that pressure. Yeah. And Absolutely. Yeah. So I think if people were more, I, I would love to see people be more willing to share yeah. the, the, the trickier moments as well because yeah. we're all human. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I am writing the follow-up book of Ignite, this Phoenix phenomenon, because I felt that Ignite was more about theory, about the concept of inner fire, uh, whereas I had not really talked about uh, my own struggle with uh, exactly what happens when inner fire goes out and when you're trying to rekindle it, what kind of struggle you face. It's not ex- In theory, it's easy, but in practice, it's not that easy. So I feel that uh, that would definitely add more authenticity to the whole experience. I can't wait to read it. <laughs> when do you think that'll be all wrapped uh, up? Probably by summer or fall this year. Great. That's fantastic. We will probably have to touch base with you then. <laughs> I often think that we can't see the forest for the trees. We are right in the middle of burnout. How can people identify if they're on the road to it, if they're not, I mean, yeah. if you can't even verbalize it. A few signs to look for are uh, that dreading mornings, that, oh, oh no, I need to get up in the morning, that kind of feeling. It's a signal that something is wrong because in a normal life, one should not feel like that. It should be a joy that, oh, I'm alive and there's a whole world for me to look at. Uh, when that sense of it goes away, that means that inner fire is not burning as strongly as it ought to. And uh, that's one thing. Other thing is, I think family and friends, they do give feedback in, in a way. Like I know my mother and my sister, they told me, of course, my husband was very nice. Uh, <laughs> I think spouses are not a good indicator for that because yeah. they don't want to tell you that you suck. <laughs> <laughs> I think siblings are better. <laughs> Uh, so my sister told me that I was becoming very irritable. I sounded like a different person. She mentioned that, uh, yeah, I was much more short-tempered than I used to be. And I think just listening to that, such a feedback, it does make a difference. Yeah. Unless, of course, if you have toxic relatives, in that case, it's a different matter. Ooh, <laughs> that is another topic for another day. Yeah, that's great. I think also, I mean, this is more on the depression side of yeah. things, but if you're if you're sleeping more, if you're... Yes. Like you're saying, that lack of joy. Part of what I worry about is that people who dread going to work the next day, mm. is it just that they need to get a different job? Like, are they going to yeah. just... If yeah. someone's in the wrong job, are yeah. they going to burn out, do you think? Uh, it does burn one out eventually. But then again, it's a matter of balancing financial necessity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes... Uh, I think it's a matter of looking at oneself as well. Quite often when we expect things to be perfect and even workplace, uh, we expect things to, job to be absolute joy, which most most often it isn't. So unless somebody is really toxic, I think most of the time it's a matter of adjusting from our side as well yeah. to the realities of workplace as opposed to what they show in movies. 
Yeah, because I, I think we had discussed this as well. I, when I burned out, I was in a job where oil and gas, great salary, <laughs> yeah. but I was doing 60-hour weeks. Yeah. And my husband lived overseas, and I was, I was yeah. definitely... I think it was a combination of burnout and depression. Yeah. And I actually found that by making some time for more artistic yes. um, endeavors, whether it was writing yeah. or <laughs> painting, that definitely helped rebuild my joy yeah. and rebuild happiness and fan the flame. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. That Because it feeds into that heat component of the fire triad and it does make a difference because sometimes... Much how much of a horrible a job is we cannot leave it because we need the money and uh, in such times taking care of other aspects of the fire triad it does make a difference uh, when I was doing my neurosurgery residency life was really busy I think the only thing that kept me sane that time was that when I left the hospital and went towards the other place where I stayed on the campus mm-hmm. there was one small opening between buildings and Behind that, there was a hill. After I finished late night surgeries and went back to my room in the morning just for a half an hour quick shower and breakfast, that's the time when sun would be rising behind that hill. And it was just a few moments, but just focusing on those few moments, that was enough. It just changed my whole perspective for the rest of the day. So I think if we are going through a bad phase like that in life, just focusing on these few stolen moments of pure joy, it does help us help our inner fire. And that's one of the ways to tend to the fire. Yeah, people talk a lot about gratitude. And Mm. I've recently started keeping a gratitude journal. And it's exactly what you're talking about. about, Like I literally wrote yesterday, the sunrise, like walking my son um, down the path and seeing the beautiful pink and purple hues. I was so grateful for that and it added a lot of joy to my day, even though the rest of the day went to hell in a handbasket. (laughs) I'm still grateful for that moment and it definitely can boost that. That's true. Absolutely. Because human beings, we are wired to have a negativity bias. That's been our survival trait. It's a survival trait. And in fact, I read in one of the books that... uh, our prehistoric ancestors, suppose they are going through a a forest and they see one patch, sandy colored patch, they can think it's a lion or a rock. Now, if it's actually a lion and they think it's a rock and they pass nearby, they are dead. (laughs) So thinking that it's a lion actually allowed them to survive. And so negativity bias is actually a survival trait. So we are wired to that. So like you said, finding these moments of gratitude it helps us overcome that because otherwise all we'll see in our day is the moments of negativity. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for chatting about burnout. And now we'll um, move into the standard Girl Tries Life interview questions. So first of all, what are the things in the projects that get you really fired up? (laughs) Um, In a good way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For me, I think it's the stage when I'm generating new ideas and conceptualizing that that's really exciting and some when I start with an abstract idea and then I draw I, I am a big fan of drawing flowcharts and diagrams and if you look at my office there's one big board there with a flip chart with a lot of diagrams drawn in it can so, you tell you have a medical background <laughs> that's great uh, so that whole planning stage the stage of translating something abstract into concrete for me that's the most exciting stage um, and um, I I just love that. What is the most inspiring book besides your own (laughs) that you have read in the past few years? 
I have to say definitely Brené Brown's books. I love all her books and uh, Gift of Imperfection, Rising Strongly, Daring Greatly, all of them. I I think they're absolutely wonderful and uh, they're the kind of books I would reread several times. We will put links to the books in the show notes, so don't worry about it. I am also a big Brene Brown fan, and Gifts of Imperfection just arrived in my mailbox. So (laughs) it's on my reading list. Could you share with us your favorite quote and why it's your favorite quote? (laughs) It's an interesting question because my favorite quote keeps changing depending on the time of the day. At the moment. (laughs) At the moment, I would say it would have to be from Lord of the Rings. Not all those who wander are lost. That's fantastic. It's funny because I've seen that around yeah. Pinterest and I had no yeah. idea it was from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Can you tell I'm a fantasy fan? <laughs> As, yeah. Absolutely yeah. nothing wrong with yeah, that. No, I think that's one of my standard favorite quotes. All that is gold does not glitter, not, nor all those who wander are lost. Great. So what is the best life lesson that you've learned or life advice you've been given? This is a very... I'm very tempted to say something uh, really huge and life-defining. In reality, it's actually something quite trivial. Many years ago, when I was in India, the summer was especially brutal. I think it was 48 degrees Celsius. and I, I was sweating and I was my skin was turning red and I was miserable. And I was just complaining non-stop. So my friend that time, he told me, that I, I agree it is really hot, it's very uncomfortable, but you don't have to feel miserable. Misery is a state of mind, whereas discomfort you're feeling is in your body. Uh, why do you have to allow the physical discomfort to get to your mind? And that really made so much sense to me. Even now when I try to, when I get into my complaining whiny mode, I try to think of that and, and think, oh, am I actually experiencing my mental misery or is it just something physical that's bothering me that's not trivial at all because i've, I've heard this before as well that mm. um a different yeah. variation of it yeah. that your response is your responsibility yeah and in terms of yeah. you know we could go into that negative complaining state yeah. or we could choose to look at things a little yeah. a little differently or no that is not trivial yeah. at all <laughs> benefits of having friends one learns things there you go so what does it mean to you swati to live your best life you know i am still figuring that out i i would say it's still a work in progress and for now for me it's just that ability to accept whatever is instead of what was or what will be just to live in the presence and i think for me for now that would be it ask me five years from now this might change Fair enough. Thank you so much, Swati, and we can't wait to read your book. You're most welcome. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to catch up with you on Monday for our weekly bout of motivation. To win a copy of Swati's book, Ignite, head on over to Girl Tries Life Facebook page and share the post of this interview. I'll make sure to pin it at the top of our page of our Facebook feed so that you can find it really easily. Today's show notes can be found at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 24, where I'll also include links on how to win a copy of Swati's book. As always, if you're able to leave a review for the Girl Tries Life podcast on iTunes, I would so greatly appreciate it. Reviews help other listeners find the podcast, and it helps me to understand what kind of content you're loving and where I can make some adjustments. 
Finally, I would love to see how you're living your best life. Share your photos on social media with the hashtag GirlTriesLife. Have a fantastic day, and remember, to make change, you need to take action. I have every faith that you'll reach your goals one step at a time. Take care, and I'll see you on Monday. 